Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, session 355. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 355 you're listening to. My guest today is producer, engineer, and musician Jason Phelps, who is co-owner of Acadia Recording Company in Portland, Maine, who comes to us as a referral from our good friend and former WCA guest Tanner Campbell. We get into the details of how Acadia Recording Company is run, but we also get into Jason's journey as well. And I'm really happy that he's here with us today. So Jason Phelps coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's revisit having coffee with new friends. Recently, I had the pleasure of having a cup of coffee, a very large cup of coffee, uh, with my new friend, Corey Stone, who is a listener of the show and happens to do front of house sound for the great Steve Earle. Steve came to San Francisco to play and Corey reached out ahead of time to say, hey, want to have coffee? And you know me, I love coffee and I love meeting my fellow audio brothers and sisters. So Corey made the trek not only from Nashville to San Francisco, but then he went the extra step and came on the BART train from San Francisco over here to Lafayette, where I picked him up at the BART station and we went to Pete's Coffee and had a great time chatting and talking shop. So Corey, thanks again. Appreciate you coming out. Just a reminder to all of you, coffee or tea, if you prefer, is a great way to sit down in a comfortable environment and talk shop with your fellow audio professionals out there. If there's somebody new that you would love to meet and get to know, if they are of like mind, they may be receptive to going out for a cup of coffee. Because typically a coffee meetup can last anywhere from 30 minutes to, you know, two hours and beyond, depending on where the conversation goes. So if you're new in town in whatever town it is across the globe, coffee is a great way to break the ice, make a new friend, and learn about someone else. And you may say, well, why would I do that, Matt? Well, I tell you, as I've hammered away on this show over the years, networking is a absolutely critical thing. It makes the globe smaller, and a network of friends can be a very powerful thing. Friends over the years tend to help each other out. They refer each other, they uh, recommend each other, and of course, they tend to answer questions that one might have of a particular situation that you might need the answer to. Now, you might be shy, you might be an introvert, and going to coffee with somebody, that, you know, that may be pushing it for you if you're an introvert. But I would encourage you to, you know, keep it short if that's the case, and Really, the goal being to not only make friends who maybe do something similar, but also can advise you on what to do if you are new in town and they might have advice on career things if, if they're more advanced in their career than you are. 
Meeting up with somebody who's part of the audio tribe is a blast. And it doesn't matter, you know, what part of audio they're in. And, you know, I talk about the networking thing and friends doing friends favors over the years and recommendations and all that. But, you know, make no mistake, they're friends first. They become friends and acquaintances and you don't have to go into any of it with any sort of agenda whatsoever. It's all a matter of meeting people and expanding your universe. Not only hearing different ideas and different ways of doing things, but also expanding your friend universe because as humans, we are social creatures, whether we're introverts or not. Depending on what discipline of audio you are involved in, you may spend an enormous amount of time on your own in a little cave, right? Or, you know, in an audio cave, we'll say. Once in a while, it's good to break out of the cave and go socialize. And, you know, if you're a socially awkward person and really interface best with other audio professionals, this is perfect, right? Because it's not like you're going to meet with uh, doctors or lawyers or uh, accountants. You're meeting with a fellow audio professional who, whether they're in the same audio discipline as you or not, speak the language. If anything, I would really encourage you to reach out to other audio professionals who are not in your own discipline because much can be gained and learned from our audio brothers and sisters who do do different things than us. So if you are a live sound person, maybe meeting up with a studio person or even a location sound person might be great. Maybe you're into sound design and you work in films Maybe meeting up with a studio person or a live sound person would be great. All in the pursuit of learning, all in the pursuit of expanding our universe mentally, but also expanding our friendverse or friend universe of audio professionals who we know. Nothing makes me happier than when, you know, my family says, hey, what if we take a trip to this place? And they name a place and I say, oh yeah, I know so-and-so and so-and-so in that place. We'll have to stop in and have a coffee with them, or I will. I'm not going to drag the whole family along every time, but you know, it's, uh, it's great to be able to do that so that, uh, you know, you can always, you know, get recommendations on things to do or places to stay, places to avoid, and if possible, meet up for coffee again. So, so in essence, remember coffee and tea really bring us all together and get the brain working too. So go practice your social skills, figure out if you're a coffee or tea person and go find a new friend that you've never talked to before, reach out and grow your audio universe. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. 
I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I've used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. Jason Phelps here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. It's a privilege to be here. I'm glad, so glad to be here. Let's jump in. Let's talk about where you're at right now and talk about what you're currently up to. First of all, tell us where you're at and then tell us about Acadia Recording Company. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm in here in Portland, Maine. I've been a Mainer my whole life. Traveled around a little bit, but everybody always ends up coming back here. It's a beautiful place to be and really kind of an up and coming city. You know, people are moving here from away and they're bringing their money with them mm. and they're spending it on recording, which is really working out great for us at Acadia. Acadia has been around for almost about 18 years or so, and I joined them about six years ago. My partner, Todd Hutchison, started the business Probably about 12 years ago, we took it over from another couple who have initially had started it. And we are very busy. We survived the pandemic somehow, and we're in a pretty good place. It's, there's two engineers, and we also have a friend who has his mastering suite in our same building, and we're cranking it out every day. I love it. In the trenches. Very much so. Huh. So let's talk about Portland, Maine for a bit. I have to ask just because it's my only memory of Portland. When I was in a band and came through Portland, we played at a club at the time. It was called Granny Killums. Oh, sure. Yeah. What was the band, Matt? The band was called The Sextants. 
And this probably was 91, 92-ish. I've did a lot of engineering down there. I may have run sound for you. It's absolutely possible. Yeah, I'm sure that would be possible. That's why I ask, because if you've been there for so long. Well, so Portland, Maine, I tell you, you could get fresh lobster right out of the water there. At least you could back then. Oh, you sure can. You still can. Good to know the lobster population hasn't diminished. No, they're doing great. My uh, stepbrother's actually a lobsterman, so... Well, that's kind of an interesting part of the world and one that we don't hear about very often for music and recording. But as you say, many people in the pandemic have kind of uprooted themselves and moved to places that their money goes a little bit further. They can work remote. And what do you find interesting about Portland, Maine? Well, first of all, I love the weather. You know, the summers are beautiful. I'm a big fan of the snow. I love being next to the ocean. We have mountains not too far away. We have a fantastic food scene here, which has really exploded. Portland is very much on the map for our food, so that brings a lot of tourists around. Portland's always had a pretty good music scene. We're kind of at the end of the planet here, so uh, you don't get a whole lot of people coming through, but a lot of bands make special trips to come up here because they do like the atmosphere and the people. And, you know, our little audio star that we have up here obviously is gateway mastering is just down the road from our studio and so that's been kind of a nice feather in portland's cap and i think that alone put portland on the map for a lot of people doing creative stuff yeah and for the audience that doesn't know what we're talking about that's of course the home of famed mastering engineer bob ludwig that's right and adam Ann as well and bob's been there for i don't know as long as i can remember it's been quite a while now. I'm not exactly sure when they were first there, but uh, it's been quite a while and they've done a lot of phenomenal work and you get to see musical dignitaries walking around town fairly regularly because of that. That's great. Is he is he located right in a populated area? He's right in the middle of the city. He actually bought a building that had a parking garage in it and uh, they completely refurbished the building and you would never know they're there. They're very low key. I was lucky enough to have one of my bands my bluegrass band, our CD was, we had it mastered by Adam and we got to attend and what a great experience. You know, you sit in the little room next to the Grammys and they let you think about it for a little while while you spent all that money <laughs> and Adam couldn't have been nicer. And, uh, turned out he had just remastered a bunch of the Rush catalog right before we got there. And I'm a huge Rush fan. He is as well. So it was really cool to talk about that with him. And he was actually kind enough to get me a copy of Neil Peart's book as a gift afterwards. So pretty sweet. So what effect do you think that having kind of a, a beacon audio establishment like that in Portland has, what's the effect on the rest of the town? You know, I think it's just one other thing that draws a lot of creative people to Portland. Portland is a big art scene. I think it's been an escape for people from the cities for a long time. It's not too far from Boston. It's about two hours, six hours from New York. Like I said, you know, we've got all this, these great restaurants and places to stay and things to see. And I know that the recording scene is actually quite small here in Portland. There's only a few studios and a couple of them had been around for some time. Yeah, I, I think it definitely adds some legitimacy to the idea of Portland, Maine, when you've got Bob up there doing that level of work. 
Yeah, and right now there's people listening to this interview that are Googling Portland, Maine and thinking, hmm, maybe I'll move to Portland, Maine. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really bad time. All the real estate, when the pandemic happened, pretty much all the real estate disappeared. It's really been unbelievable. Everything got bought up. People fled the cities in droves, as you might know, during COVID, you know. If you're here right now and you're working, it's a pretty great time. We're seeing people that we've never met before, hearing from musicians that have just moved here and are looking for work. I got to do a little bit of producing of a, some drum tracks for Graham from the band uh, Crystal Fighters, and they're uh, like a number one band over in England, and he had recently moved here, and it was just kind of a cool, cool experience. It's also kind of that that magical time period where you have an influx of money, into the area so there's growth but you're not quite at the stage where it's not affordable to live the real estate hasn't shot through the roof just yet i'm sure it's heading that way relevant to you know portland terms in the past sure i mean it's pennies on the dollar compared to where these people are coming from it's a really great deal for them so it's been a lot of new people what do you think the average cost of a house is there <laughs> so uh, it's funny, uh, one of our coworkers is looking for a home and it's absolutely through the roof. The tiniest, I think it was a 800 square foot home was almost, it was $280,000 was going for, oh. for a tiny, tiny little place. So it's really, it's outrageous right now, especially <laughs> if you want to be close to Portland. If you, if you don't mind going half an hour out of town, you know, the prices drop quickly. Wow. Yeah, and see to me that's that's not ridiculous. That's like really, you can actually buy a place for two hundred thousand dollars. Amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, you can't even do that here, right? Oh, I know. Even the prices where you are, it's a whole different stratosphere. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole other ball game. Let's bring this back to Acadia. So, is Acadia a building that is owned by you and Todd, or those involved in the building? No. So we've been leasing from our landlord, who is. Uh, really nice person who's actually kind of a supporter of the arts in Portland. There's like a glass blowing shop. There's a frame shop. There's some other artists in our building. And I really feel like they're kind of going out of their way to keep that happening in Portland, which is a great thing for us. We have a great relationship with them. The relationship with the landlord, that's a key thing for a lot of people. Because if you don't have an artist friendly or arts friendly landlord, things could go south really quick. Yeah, we've been allowed to pretty much have free reign in our space. We built an additional booth recently. We got HVAC installed finally, which is uh, quite a blessing for all of our clients. We had a very hot studio for a very long time. So it was 83 degrees in the control room at all times for years. And so that's been a, a major upgrade. Wow. And so did you do, uh, some of the audience might laugh because I always ask about mini splits. Did you do mini splits? I'm not sure about mini splits, but we have two heat pumps, one for the control room and one for the live room, and they do heat in AC, and it's instant. You hit the button, and man, it's cool right away. So it's wonderful, and it's very quiet. Okay. Mini splits are the ductless type of air conditioning units you typically see in Europe, you know, the wall unit with the outside condenser unit. Yeah, that's what these are. Okay, yes. okay. Or people mostly refer to them as ductless. I always refer to them as mini splits, but great possibility for you if you have a studio space and i guess the opening is like about maybe an inch or so for the piping to go through out to the condenser right yeah it's very it's very simple yeah so for the audience you know that's that's always a, a great option well tell me about the 
formation of Acadia as far as like, how do you guys function? How do you guys make it work financially? Do you all contribute, split the rent? Who contributes gear? Who doesn't? Well, up till I joined, Todd had been running the studio pretty much by himself. Initially, there had been some other partners involved, and he pretty much bought everybody out of the business. And he was just working like a madman and has a couple young children. And we knew each other from he had worked at the local music store where I had taught music lessons back in the day. And we knew each other from bands as well. I'd always really liked Todd's company and thought he was a real smart person. And I had done some mobile recording out in California and had a project that needed to be mastered. And I was looking for mastering engineers and I got Pat Keen's name. So Pat is the mastering engineer who has his studio in our complex. And he was really impressed with the recording. And he knew that Todd was finally in need of a second engineer. But, you know, it's hard to find somebody you can trust with your space and your business and your time. And, and Pat recommended him to me. So I started hanging around the studio and saved a few days when there was some major computer trouble and was able to be the guy that was able to save the day a few times. It was my phone started ringing semi regularly for tech support and I joined on. We got a whole new computer rig and uh, we never really looked back from there. And the way we work is pretty much one of us is always there. So it's almost like the being in the Navy in the hot bunk if I'm not working, Todd is there. And if Todd's not working, I am there. And uh, we've been really lucky to find ways to make it work in our lives. Hmm. For calendaring, how do you manage the coordination of that for the studio? We're, we're, we're lucky to have a studio manager, Alice Anderson, who does a wonderful job of taking on the requests that come through the website or just people that just find us online. Todd and I often line up our own clients. We have people that we work with. In a very broad sense, I am more the acoustic guy, and Todd would be more the heavy guy, but that's not really accurate. I mean, Todd's done tons of jazz. He's done tons of acoustic stuff, but if you're looking for your black metal record, Todd is, would be the guy for that, mm -hmm. and if you're looking for your bluegrass record, I'm probably more the guy for that, although we both have tons of experience in other styles as well. So uh, we do our own booking for that. And we pay ourselves very small salaries and we put everything else back into the business. After about a year that I was part of the studio, Todd invited me to be half owner of the business. And I am 49% owner of the business. You know, whatever was there for gear and properties, obviously beforehand is, is Todd's, but everything we've done since then, we split 50-50 and we have a really amazing working relationship. We've never had an argument. We really see eye to eye, and I think we're both reasonable people. I'm 51. Todd's younger than a little younger than I am, but I think we both have enough life experience to know uh, what the kind of stuff you need to sweat is and what the kind of stuff you let go is, and it really works well for us. Mm, I love that. So what can be challenging in what I tend to refer to as a co-op type studio situation like that, where you have you know a couple different engineers, two or more engineers sharing in expenses and gear, et cetera, is setup and workflow. So you probably work very differently than Todd does, and Todd, vice versa, works differently than you. How did you arrive at a setup that works for the both of you? Initially, I kind of adopted Todd's methods, but I've we've both learned a lot from one another and have influenced each other's methods for recording. We're constantly talking about recording. We're constantly trying to learn more by listening to podcasts and all the amazing amount of information that is out there these days. 
our only main difference in recording styles is that he does all his headphone mixes in the console and I do all mine in the box. And that pretty much is the, is the, really the main difference in our recording styles. Otherwise, you know, we, we try to have a, a semi streamlined system. We both use the same color coordination for our pro tool stuff. So if one of us needs to open up the other guy's mix, for some reason, we can look at it and know what's going on right away. Alice does a lot of editing for us as well. And so she also knows our systems so that it's not a whole new project every time we open something up. So there's some consistency there. Mm, that's great. Now, do you have Alice on as an independent contractor or is she an employee? Alice is an employee. Okay. And she does a lot of her own side hustles as well that she's doing. She does a lot of podcasting and a lot of uh, audiobook editing, stuff like that as well. Excellent. Is Portland, Maine a business-friendly environment as far as setting up a business, running a business, you know, the hoops that you have to jump through to get a business running there? Yeah. You know, we've had no issues with the city whatsoever. We're in an area where we can make all the noise that we want, which is nice. So we don't get any complaints that way. And the state of Maine is fairly easy to do business in a lot of taxes. Taxes are high in the state of Maine for sure and everything. But otherwise, yeah, Portland's, Portland's pretty friendly. We were very lucky in the pandemic. The state offered a grant for small businesses that were struggling due to COVID. And we met some requirements and we, we got a straight up grant for a significant amount of money, which really made a big difference for us to be able to survive the COVID. So, Wow, that's great. That can make or break a business for sure in this time period. It absolutely did. We were able to receive some PPP loans, which were forgiven. We did go for the EIDL loan as well. And I don't know if any other studios out there had that opportunity or not, but uh, it was a great opportunity for a loan at a very, very low interest rate. And we just kind of couldn't pass it up. You can't get a business loan anywhere near like this is. So we made some major upgrades. That's when we purchased the HVAC system. And once we had that, then to get that grant from the state, it just put us in a place where we were able to be fully shut down for several months with no income coming in and survive. Hmm. I wanted to mention when we were talking about the uh, landlord earlier, our landlord very generously let us pay half rent for a few months when the wow. when the pandemic first started, and I've never heard of that happening anywhere. That, so that's the kind of that's the kind of relationship we have. So. Wow, that's the kind of landlord I would just send a case of beer or wine to, and <laughs> right and a handwritten thank you note was such a blessing. Amazing. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. 
There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. So when it comes to the gear, what would be the decision-making process for adding anything new? Is there a lot of discussion between you and Todd to figure out what do we need, what do we want, or... As far as like either of you, do you just start to get attracted to a piece of gear and try to sell the other partner on it? Well, there's a little bit of that that happens. If it's under $1,000, we don't really question each other. But, you know, we've had a pretty steady plan going forward. You know, we did a major computer upgrade, did a major converters upgrade. We got a, a wonderful patch bay from Mr. Patch Bay. If anybody's in the looking for a patch bay, and not to throw an ad in the middle of our podcast here, but his work is unbelievable and you cannot beat his prices. It was it was amazing. So we you know, so we definitely did some investment and you know, we kind of have a plan, a long-term plan. Where we're at now is we're pretty busy. We really need a bigger space to take it to the next level because we want to be able to track and mix at the same time. And we really need a second control room and set up so that we could be mixing and tracking a band at the same time. So that's kind of like our, we've kind of hit that limit right now. Got it. Do you have space behind the building or onto the side of the building to do any extra construction? There's definitely no construction to be done. We're right in the middle of the city. Okay. But the, you know, there are other spaces that occasionally come up in our building and, you know, it could be a possibility, but we really don't know what the future is for that. It's hard to figure out, you know, so we just kind of keep our heads down and keep working. And now that we're kind of where we're at, we're just kind of socking away some money and trying to see what the future might hold. That's great. Now, when it comes to the money and the banking of the whole thing, how do you keep each other in check financially as far as, you know, the bank account? Is it a, a shared account? Is it like an LLC? Yeah, we formed an LLC about four years ago. And so we, Todd and I are partners in the building, in the business, and we have a shared bank account. And I do most of the books because it's just kind of one of my strong suits. And we obviously, you know, keep Todd informed as to what's going on. And we have a CPA that we work with who has really been great for us. It's a very open uh, situation. You know, it's a very transparent situation. Yeah. I mean, there are couples who get divorces over money. Business partners are not immune to that possibility either. So are there things that you do with each other to make sure that everybody knows what's going on so there's no trouble down the line? Yeah. You know, I keep a pretty good eye on the balance and we have times when we have a little spending freeze. We want to make sure that we have plenty of money in the bank so that we don't run into any trouble. And uh, we've never had a problem paying our bills. It's a, it's a kind of a unique situation. We have a very solid relationship and a lot of trust yeah. It's an interesting animal, for lack of a better term, because it's a series of systems. It's financial systems, it's booking systems, it's recording systems. All these little mini systems or ecosystems have to coexist with one another. And that 
really, I think, plays into the success or failure of a studio. And it seems like you all are kind of checking all the boxes and you're looking ahead. It's really fascinating to to hear about, really, just, and I know this is kind of nerdy of me to to say, but I just, I'm intrigued how you do it. You know, like I said, having that trust is very important and we're really lucky to have that. And, you know, one of the things about Acadia is that Todd and I have both been in this area for our entire lives making music. I've been a, a private guitar teacher for, I've taught literally thousands of people guitar lessons. And I constantly have people come in and a band will come in and be like, oh, you were my guitar teacher back in the day. <laughs> and, and, you know, or people know Todd from the music store or he, Todd had a business building pedals or they have some of his pedals. And so we've, we've both been kind of entrenched in music in a variety of different ways. And I think that we really have a local feeling and people love the vibe of our studio. It's very laid back. The decor is kind of funky inside. We have a studio dog that lives there, Oscar. He's always there with us. And to me, my biggest thing, and this comes from teaching guitar lessons for years, is I feel like if you can make people comfortable, that's so much more important than a new preamp or what microphone you use or anything or the levels you record at or what you do. If you can just make somebody feel comfortable, you're going to get a performance that is going to be so much better than the alternative. And so that's one of the things I feel like we do really well because we're not big time. There's no pretentiousness mm -hmm. and people feel relaxed. And I think it really makes a difference in the recordings that we get. And part of making other people feel comfortable is you feeling comfortable with yourself and the state of the business. And it sounds like, as we were talking about all the systems, the ecosystems within the business, if those are taken care of, you're in a relaxed state because you know, you feel secure in your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're not thinking about all those other things. You can focus on the work. Can you kind of walk me through a little bit of a, of a bullet point timeline of where you started and how recording came onto your radar and when it became important to you? How did, what led up to Acadia for you? Sure. I'm going to give you the quick tour. So, you know, as a kid, I was very much enthralled by music. We had a nice KLH tube stereo at the house and I was allowed to pick my 13 eight tracks from Columbia House. And that was uh, very influential to me. And I would listen to them over and over again. You know, the Beatles, Elvis Live at Madison Square Garden was my first album. I started playing the piano as a little kid. My dad bought a piano for my mom to put in the parlor, just kind of as a, a decoration piece. And I wanted a guitar. So my dad said, well, if you learn how to play a few songs on the piano for Christmas, I'll buy you a guitar. So I did, played a few one finger songs at the Christmas party, and I was got a guitar for Christmas. Unfortunately, this guitar came from the JC Penny catalog and was back ordered. So they had gotten me a little amp, and I would come home from school every day, and I'd turn on my little amp, and I'd look at the little blue light, and I would wait for the postman to come. And two months later, my guitar finally arrived. Oh my God, that was the longest two months of your it life. It was terrible. I would run home from the bus every day, and it wouldn't be there. And I'd just go sit in my room, and I'd turn my amp on and listen to it go and dream. I mean, I was, I was hooked. Oh. <laughs> so Poor kid. Uh, I, so I really got it. You know, I, I totally got into the guitar and also got into recording or very early on, we had a reel to reel tape machine at the house. 
I was funny. I was listening to Tanner Campbell's podcast and how, you know, he talked about loving the hearing the sound of his own voice. And I was definitely one of those guys as well. So, you know, in high school, I was in bands. We started needing gear. And I think many engineers are born by default. You know, somebody needs to turn on the PA and whoever dares to go mess with it, they often end up being the sound person. So there was a bunch of that. We started playing private parties every weekend in high school. I had done dozens and dozens and dozens of gigs before I got out of high school. I started school a little early and skipped second grade. So when I graduated from high school, I was 16 years old and started doing bar gigs. My mom was totally supportive of our music. My dad was as well. You know, so I was 16 playing in a band. We were doing playing at bars every weekend. I was looking over my shoulder, hoping not to get busted for being 16 years old in the bar. I learned a lot of things doing that. We would record ourselves. I bought an X-15 and we would record four tracks and then bounce them to two and then put the tape back in the four track and just keep layering them up. And I could do, do that endlessly. I really thought that was so much fun. We were lucky to do our first demo at a local studio at a 16-track, one-inch machine. And I thought that was amazing. They had a AKGC 12, and that was just mind-blowing. Of course, I didn't know what any of these things meant, but just seeing that fancy microphone was definitely meant a lot. Then we were very lucky to do a demo with uh, the producer, I don't know if you've, uh, Jeff Whitehead. He did a bunch of stuff back in the 80s. If you look him up and he was, we recorded the first time at a real studio with a, with a two inch tape machine and a real console. And he basically said, you know, you guys suck, but I'm going to help you. <laughs> we wanted to do, we were going to do like five songs. He's like, you guys are not very good. I'd like to help you get better. And so we ended up doing one song with him over the course of a week. And he helped us rewrite the drum parts and helped us with the harmonies. And that was such a lesson in doing it for real. And it was, it was a big influence on me. Fast forward, you know, played in bands for several years, did a lot of live sound. I worked for a great ska band here in Portland called Active Culture. And we traveled around New England and the Northeast, did a lot of live sound with them. And it was kind of a fifth Beatle kind of thing. We had a horn section and we actually had a harmonizer in the rack. We had it all set for the different modes. And it was a very active mixing job and uh, super fun learned a lot about interfacing with other systems. We brought our, our rack with us everywhere and always had a different console and a different PA. And I feel like for, as a recording engineer, the experience of doing live sound and having to sink or swim and having to figure it out when it's not working is so key. Cause as we all know, when you're in the studio, if something goes wrong and that momentum is getting crushed, there's no worse feeling and it can really derail the session. So I'm really, really glad to have had all that experience doing live sound. So fast forward a ways, and I discovered bluegrass music. After playing rock and roll for many, many years, I went to a, my first bluegrass festival and was absolutely blown away by the music. And all, But all the music that I heard at the bluegrass festival I went to was traditional, and there was no guitar solos. It turned out that there's all kinds of bluegrass bands with great guitar players, 
So as a you know, I was a guitar player, so I was like, okay, if I want to play bluegrass, I need to learn how to play the mandolin or the banjo if I want to be a soloist. So I bought, I got each of them and learned how to play them. And then I went to a big festival, and that's when I saw the Lonesome River Band for their first time and their guitar player, Kenny Smith. And I was absolutely hooked. And I basically put down the electric guitar, and I didn't really pick it up again for another 10, 12 maybe even longer years. I was thoroughly obsessed with acoustic music. I love the freedom of, we played around one microphone and used in-ear monitors and the freedom of not schlepping a tons of gear around everywhere you went. Oh, yeah. The listening, the camaraderie at bluegrass festivals and playing with other musicians, playing a type of music that has a traditional a set of traditional songs, just like a jazz player. You know, there's the, there's the standards and bluegrass music has its standards and the joy of meeting other phenomenal musicians and just being able to play these songs together right away with no rehearsal was just, a, it was fascinating. Yeah. And we started the band called Jerks of Grass here in Portland. We were kind of, you know, definitely the, the renegade bluegrass band, but we were, we were a, a traditional bluegrass band. We played traditional bluegrass music. The term bluegrass in California has a very different connotation as it does than it does over here on the East Coast. We're a lot less... Uh, a lot less open-minded in general, as far as bluegrass goes here. And that band absolutely took off. We were able to create a band level of sound, but we could fit on a four by eight sheet of plywood. So we got all kinds of great gigs because we were able to do a full band sound and performance, but not take up a ton of space. It was super easy for us to set up. We had a very good run, played a lot of great music, and that was, that was a ton of fun. So we made a record and here with locally. And I remember when it was done thinking, I wish it could have been different, but I kind of didn't have the terminology to express myself while we were recording it to say what I, what it is that I wanted. So it didn't quite end up the way I would have wished. And around that time, I got a copy of Pro Tools. I had kind of been out of the recording thing for a little bit. And I got a copy of Pro Tools, and it absolutely sucked on my computer. And I was like, oh, well, okay, this hasn't gotten any better. So that was an opportunity to get back on the train again, and it did not happen. So fast forward a little bit, I started teaching at a place called the 317 Main Community Music Center in Yarmouth, Maine. I had a mandolin student at the music store where I worked previously, he had some money and he wanted to do something special. And he had an idea to start a place for people to do lessons where you'd have a bigger space, spend more time, get to play with other people. And the gentleman's name was Peter. Peter ended up buying a building in Yarmouth, Maine, which is about 10 miles up the road from Portland, completely having it revamped, hired me as the music director and hired a few other music instructors, and we started doing lessons there. Hmm. Fast forward now, they're literally serving thousands of people. At the time, I when I got done, we were doing 450 lessons a week. Unbelievable. Tons of and group lessons. We had drop-in bluegrass jams. We had swing jams. We were focused mainly on acoustic music so that we didn't have amplifiers. We were in, a, in, in the middle of the town. That was happening at the same time the bluegrass band was happening. So that just really expanded our reach. And I just met so many great people. I, I just want to highlight what you just said there. You met a lot of people. And, and really, as we're heading into how you got into Acadia, those connections you made, I'm sure, were absolutely crucial 
to the future life of your recording career because you know so many people. You've been out in the scene. You're trusted. People know that you're musically savvy, especially in the bluegrass area. So I'm sure that everything that you're telling us now about all these people you met has played a huge role in the future. Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better networking situation between the teaching and the band playing all the time. And, and that's what happens. People come in and they remember, you know, they know you from these things. And it's just, you almost have a little bit of instant trust, which goes a long way. As you know, recording a band of skeptics, there's nothing tougher, right? When people come in with a skeptic eye, you need to win them over and gain their trust because this is something they really care about. Yeah. Well, so when did the recording thing really start to crop up as a more prominent thing in your life? So all this was happening. I was super busy, crazy. It was a little bit too, it had been too much. I was getting burned out on teaching. So I announced to the band that I was going to take a leave of absence and I was going to go hike the Pacific Crest Trail. So in 2012, I took six months off and I started in Mexico and I hiked from Mexico to Canada with a two pound carbon fiber guitar on my backpack. And this was a phenomenal time. That's a whole nother story. When that was over, I came back, I started teaching some lessons again, and I realized, you know, this really isn't what I want to be doing. I really need to be doing something different. Right around that time, I got a call from a good friend by the name of Connor Mulroy. He's a composer and musician, phenomenal player, great writer, and he was looking to record a record. And he asked if I would record it for him because he'd known that I'd had experience recording. It was going to be in Northern California, where they lived, in a Gold Rush era bed and breakfast that had no electricity. It was 35 miles from the nearest paved road up in the like Mount Shasta area. Okay, right. So we were going to gear up for the recording, got an interface, had a new laptop, got the latest version of Pro Tools, and a bunch of microphones, and a generator and a bunch of gas. And we drove up to the middle of nowhere. We spent a week there and made this phenomenal record called The Stranded Aviator. When we finished the record, I came back to Maine and I was going to get it mastered. I contacted Pat Keen, who was mastering right you know, where he is now. And Pat was really impressed with the quality of the recording. He knew at that time that Todd had been looking for I see now we're somebody. coming full circle and to there, the beginning and of where, it. And where it comes full circle. Sorry about the long run around there. And Pat said to Todd, you know, you ought to consider hiring Jason. We talked about it and there we are. Wow. That's many years spent as a player. So I bet you're a great ally in the studio to musicians because of your time as a player. You, you understand what they're going through. You empathize. You understand the instruments, especially of bluegrass, how they should sound, where the mics should go. So I'm sure that yeah, your sessions, understanding with harmonies, players, being able to help people, and along the way, you know, through the whole teaching, there was a lot of recording going on on a on a smaller level, obviously, yeah. you know, but but definitely interfacing with technology. Had student bands who were doing demos. I would record lessons for everybody. I would record mm. backing tracks for them. So you know, I was keeping it going in that department, but didn't really have the opportunity until Acadia to really sink in. And right away, got a couple projects going and never look back. It's been phenomenal. So in retrospect, with the big hike from Mexico to Canada and revelations I'm sure you had on that trip, do you think you made the right decision? And do you feel you're at home where you should be? 
Absolutely. I have no regrets. I really love recording. I feel for me, recording is it's, it's got a lot of the aspects that I love about teaching, which is I love interacting with people and I love being able to help musicians realize their goals. And in the studio, that's exactly what we're doing. And I feel like I have, I can quickly assess someone and find the language to be able to communicate with them right away. And I think that goes a long way in the studio. We're about out of time, but I wanted to get your perspective here or advice, I should say, to others. You know, we have a mixture of listeners, people who are top pros, students who want to get into the world of recording on all different levels, whether it's in music or film or whatever. But as far as studio ownership goes and running a studio, what would be your advice to others about running a studio? Well, I would say make sure you know who you're in business with. Try to have a plan. As my friend likes to say, you don't have to have a good plan, but you have to have a plan. Uh, <laughs> and listening to the clients. You know, one thing that I noticed a lot with people when, when you're in the studio, sometimes you'll give somebody direction. And for whatever reason, they don't take it or they don't, they don't hear it. And when I get a comment from a client, even if it seems to be a small aside, I, try to, I really try to listen to what they're saying so that they can be heard because a lot of people won't take a second opportunity to, to speak. So really listening to people is important. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, Portland, Maine has its own vibe and East coast and West coast have different vibes. But I mean, when you get into the specific cities in a small place like Portland, Maine, I get the feeling like people will ask once, but they won't bother you again. If you, they don't get their answer, they don't, they don't get heard. Right. Is what I would understand. So where can people find out more about you and the studio? They can check out Acadia's website, which is AcadiaRecording.com. And I do also have a small website for JasonPhelpsMusic.com. There's some examples of some of my work on there. All will be included in the show notes, of course, audience. Great. Jason, great to meet you. We have to thank our mutual friend and former WCA guest Tanner Campbell for connecting us he sent me a message, and uh, I take seriously the recommendations from my former guests about who to bring on, and I'm really glad that I could meet you. And I look forward, actually, to talking to Todd possibly next week and having him on the show so we can get his his perspective and uh, history on this whole Acadia thing that you guys are doing. Yeah, that's that'd be wonderful. Thanks again for the time spent today, and uh, have a great weekend, and take care. Great. Thanks, Matt. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Jason Phelps here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Remember, if you have a guest suggestion, 
fill out the guest suggestion form on the Working Class Audio website as opposed to the contact form. That would really be great if you could do that because we're always looking for guests because it's a show about audio professionals. But that's all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdell on the Working Class Audio theme song, and the magical voice of Mr. Chuck Smith. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me a message at matt at workingclassaudio.com. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com. Check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.